Let us pray. Creator God, we thank you for you have created all that is good in this world. And God, we thank you for your word, for your good word that we are about to read from. God, open our eyes and our hearts to understand its meaning, illuminate for us, and help us to feel it to the depths of our soul and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Following the reading, there will be a moment of silence. Let us now listen for the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. This is the word of the Lord. The road to Damascus is a familiar story to most of us. A man named Saul begins a journey on the road and he encounters the resurrected Lord along this journey. We didn't read the entire story, but most of us know what comes next. When he meets the Lord, he's made blind and then he's made to see again three days later. We hear the story time and again about the scales that have been wiped away from his eyes upon his regaining his sight. We've heard this, if you were a churchgoer as children, you heard this as children, um, because it is a common story and one that we can be inspired by and learn from. But did you know that the story of what happened on the road to Damascus actually is told three times in the book of Acts. I didn't know that until recently. And I think it's amazing because Luke uses a literary device to teach us the lesson. Repetition. Repeating a story over and over again helps to get the point across much more strongly. So today we read from Acts 9. That's the traditional telling of the story. It's the one where Luke is telling us this is what happened. It's the one we read most. In it, we hear that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples. In it, we hear that if he finds somebody who is a follower of the way, meaning a follower of Jesus, then he is going to take them to be punished. In it, we hear that a light shone from heaven, and he fell to the ground. In it, Jesus addresses him, and he's told that he will be told what to do when he gets to Damascus. 
But here we're not actually told what it is he's going to be told to do. Now, of course, if you continue to read Acts, you see him begin to carry out the ministry that Jesus uh, appoints him for. But here we don't hear what it is he's told to do. Now, if you do fast forward to Acts 22, we hear the story again. Here, we hear Paul's own account of what happened to him on the road to Damascus. On his way, after having been to Damascus, after having regained his sight and beginning his ministry, what happens? The people who are like him are now seeking to punish him. So Paul is telling the people of Jerusalem, the ones who are calling for him to be tried and punished, He's saying, wait, listen to what happened to me. And in his account, he says, I was persecuting and I was punishing people. I was bringing believers from Damascus to be punished in Jerusalem. It's a little bit more intense. There's a little bit more detail. So the first one, we have breathing threats and murder. And now he's saying, I was persecuting, I was punishing I was leading these people to their imprisonment. Also in this count, account, there is a great light that has shone down around him, and he falls down to the ground. The light has gotten brighter in this retelling. Once again, Jesus addresses him, and he says, go to Damascus, and you'll be told what it is you are to do. Now Jesus himself in this account does not tell him what it is he's going to be told to do. But if we keep reading, when he gets to Damascus, the disciple Ananias, who is the instrument to helping him regain his sight, says, oh, well, Jesus told me that I was supposed to help you regain your sight and so that you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? We still don't know what he's supposed to do. There's no telling what he's supposed to do. Let's fast forward one more time to Acts 26. In Acts 26, Paul once again is retelling his story, this time to King Agrippa. So the people have won. He has gone to trial. He has gone before the governors, and the governors are telling King Agrippa about this, and King Agrippa says, I want to hear this story for myself. So Paul says, let me tell you my story. And once again, he says, I was punishing and persecuting people who believed in Jesus. But he does so, as he tells the story, he talks about how he had a raging fury, how he manipulated. He didn't just say, oh, I want to, I ran into these people and they were followers, so we're going to punish them. In this account, he says, I was seeking people and he was actually trying to get them to blasphemy. He says, I was trying to make them blasphemy against God. He was manipulating them so that he could have more people to punish. I mean, it just kept getting worse. Now, in this account, so we had a light from heaven, then we had a great light from heaven, and now we have a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. The light consistently gets brighter. It shone around him, but not just him. This time it also was so great 
that it shone around all who were with him as well. And they all fell to the ground, not just him. But once again, Paul hears the voice of Jesus. And this time, this time Jesus tells him what to do. He says, rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Each time this story is told, whether it is Luke's account of what happened or whether it is quotes of Paul telling his own story, it is told with greater intensity. Repetition and intensity drives the points home. We see this in writings, secular and Christian, not just in scripture, but everywhere you see this in writings, the literary devices that are used to help teach us. We see it in our own lives. I mean, how many of you have had something happen in your life and you have told the story time and again? Uh, sometimes it's not for a lesson, let's be honest. We, we like to talk, right? <laughs> I mean, I tell stories over and over again, and Rob says, Liz, you've told me that story a hundred times. <laughs> there may not have been a lesson. I just like telling the story. But when we repeat things that are important to us, it shows how important it is. And every time we tell the story, it's probably not exactly the same. We emphasize certain parts over others one time, and then we flip-flop and do the opposite. But the story is the same, that it has had an effect, that it is important, that it is crucial to our lives. Whether it was good or bad, right? Lessons can come from things that have happened to us that have been positive or negative. Clearly, what happened on the road to Damascus is important to Luke. And there are two points that I think he really wanted everyone to know. Number one, Jesus was not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And number two, Jesus was not just for good little disciples of Jesus, but for sinners as well. Now, those might seem like obvious points to us because we've heard these things said time and time again. But as with any good and important lesson, as Luke has taught us, it bears repeating. The gospel is for all people in all places. The amazing thing about Paul's story that I think we miss when we focus just on the Acts 9 passage is how he was able to go about fulfilling his mission after he regains his sight. So at the time of Acts 9, when Paul was just beginning his ministry, New Christians were converted Jews, right? Because it was commonly held that the Jewish people, that the Messiah has come for the Jewish people. And that's why it was so important that, to even think that, that the Messiah could be for somebody other than the Jews. So new Christians were converted Jews. Paul himself was looking for Christians 
or disciples of Jesus at that point, um, he was looking for them in the synagogues among the Jewish people, right? They were still intermingling. Each, reach, each retelling of this story gets him closer, though, to being able to preach the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. He needs to get out of the synagogues, right? He needs to change his audience because his audience is not where he is. His audience lives somewhere else. So he can't fulfill his mission where he is. So he is on the road to Damascus. From there, he goes to Caesarea. And finally, he ends up in Rome. Now, Paul didn't have a boat, right? <laughs> um, he's living here. Back then, it, was a, it took a lot longer. It was a lot harder to get around. So the things that he did the retelling of his story to the people, to King Agrippa, and then finally to Caesar, all of that played a role in getting him where he needed to be, and that is to his Gentile audience. And I don't say audience as a concert, but to the people that needed to hear the gospel. Telling his story put him in chains, which allowed him to tell his story once more, and then again. And then again. And it sent him to the people to whom Jesus wanted him to be with, where he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that is from Acts 28, verse 30, the very last verse of Acts of the Apostles. He ended up in Rome preaching to the people to whom Jesus appointed him to serve. Now, if you think about ourselves and who we're called to preach and to teach to, you know, boats are more easily accessible for us. We can even hop on a plane. But that doesn't mean we have the funds to do it. It doesn't mean we have the time off of work to do it. But sometimes we have to take a leap of faith and do what we need to do to reach the people that God is calling us to reach. And sometimes we don't even have to go a great distance. Sometimes we just need to step outside these walls. In order for the gospel of Jesus to move beyond the Jewish audience, God chose Saul, who became Paul. His entire conversion experience was a catalyst of him fulfilling the purpose for which God had appointed him. A catalyst for God's big plan. To proclaim the word to those who were previously thought to have not been chosen. To begin the spread of the gospel across the whole wide world that existed beyond the borders of Israel. Now the other thing about Paul's story that I think we see emphasized when we look at all three tellings is the emphasis on who he was before his conversion. Paul was a sinner. And I mean the really, really bad kind. I'm just kidding. God doesn't like any sin at all, right? But he was among the worst. He was actively seeking out people to punish because of their beliefs and turning them over to be murdered. I mean, that's bad. That's some hardcore sinning. And even though he was Jewish, even though he was part of the chosen people of God, he was breaking one of the Big Ten, 
Mel was talking about the Big Ten today. He was among the worst who were against the followers of Jesus at that time. He wasn't holding, he was holding God up, but he wasn't holding up what God was doing different in this world. And thou shalt not murder is one of the Big Ten. So not only was he not not murdering, he was encouraging murder. And yet, and yet, God chose to call him and give him a specific purpose to further the kingdom of God. Now, Paul was not just any sinning Jew, but one who spoke both Greek and Hebrew, and who is also a Roman citizen. These three things are all very important in his calling because they directly played a role in the purpose that he was given. Without being a Roman citizen, he would have been tried and punished right there in Israel. But as a Roman citizen, he could appeal to Caesar and hope for some help. But not only that, it moves him, as I mentioned earlier, to where he needed to be. Had he not been a Roman citizen, he never would have been able to get to Rome. He never would have been able to get to the Gentiles. Now, without being able to speak Hebrew, he wouldn't have been able to speak to the people who were just hurling accusations at him. He would not have been able to tell his story to the governor and to the, into King Agrippa. Without speaking Greek, he could not spread the gospel, of the Gentile, gospel to the Gentiles as they would not have understood his language. It was very uncommon to have somebody who was both a Roman citizen and Jewish who could speak those languages. He needed those things to fulfill the ministry to which he was being called. Now, if Paul was called by Jesus while still breathing threats for something so crucial to furthering God's kingdom, then we too can have hope that God calls us while we breathe sin in our own lives, whatever our sins might be. Now, we were doing uh, Lent events on Wednesday nights uh, before this Easter, and we, well, we ended up watching a movie by one man and talking about one man, the other one we had to cancel because of rain. But C.S. Lewis and Lee Strobel both have been people that we've talked about in the church, not only during Lent, uh, but other times throughout the years. C.S. Lewis wrote books like Mere Christianity, Chronicles of Narnia. Lee Strobel wrote The Case for Christ, among other things. Um, both of them were non-believers. And I mean vehement non-believers, right? They weren't just like, oh, I don't know, I'm a cultural Christian. They weren't that at all. They didn't believe. And they were vocal about their unbelief. And yet, when their hearts were changed, when they became Christians, they became instruments of God to further the kingdom of God. They didn't become Christians and sit on the chairs on Sunday morning and, and worship. They probably did that too. But they became people who spread the gospel in a very real way. The human paradox is that while we judge each other and think, albeit usually subconsciously, that we know who, and who, who is or is not worthy of God's love and salvation, 
we actually feel as though we ourselves are not worthy. Where there is pride, there's insecurity as well. So we might say, well, Lee Strobel and C.S. Lewis, atheists, really? That's who he chose to work with? Paul, really? This major sinner, that's who he chose to go and preach to the Gentiles? He couldn't have picked somebody, you know, that actually followed Jesus and, you know, an apostle? No, he chooses who he has equipped for certain ministries. And if he can choose people like that, then he can choose us too. And he has. He has chosen each and every one of you. So on one hand, we think, who are they to think that they belong in the fold? Right? Who, and, and it depends on our day, which hand we're on, okay? So on one hand, who are they to think this? Why should we go to them? They don't act like us. They don't think like us. You know, they don't even speak the same language as us. Whatever it is, we're like, who are they? But then on this other hand, it's who am I that I could possibly belong as well? Or that I could possibly go out and make a difference and bring others into the fold? Because when you have high standards for others, you have high standards for yourself as well. And so we think that we should be better than we are. And pride takes over. And yet, and yet, God chose to call you and to give you a purpose. You too are appointed to go and preach the gospel to further God's kingdom and to call all people to him. God uses the gifts and the talents we have individually and collectively just as he used those of Paul. It looks different for everyone, but we all have our parts to play. Before you became a part of the fold, of God's flock, someone sought you out to teach you the way. Now, it may have been your parents as a child. For some, it may have been somebody inviting you to church as an adult. But they sought you out so that you may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. Now that you are a part of the fold. Now that you are a part of the flock of Jesus, your calling is to seek out others to teach them the way so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. The importance of the story of what took place on the road to Damascus equates to the importance of the gospel being for all people in all places. That is why it is told three times in one book in the Bible. The gospel of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the redemption that comes from everything that he did for us was not just for the Jews then. And it's not just for good little Christians today. It is for all people inside these walls and outside of these walls. It is for the ones who mess up a little and for those who mess up a lot. It is for those who looked and look and act and think like ourselves. And it's for those who look and act and think differently than ourselves. 
It is for those who are already worshiping the risen Lord. And it is for those who are still breathing threats. If you remember nothing else that I've said today, remember this. The gospel is for all people in all places. To God be the glory. Amen.